I want to begin maybe by giving just two announcements this morning. I know we don't normally, uh, I don't normally begin with announcements, but I, I want to kind of highlight two things. And uh, the reason I'm doing it here is because I think it's that important. Uh, one is that as we gave a missions update this morning, uh, one of the things that we're looking for is that we need more people uh, to help serve on our uh, missions, our global missions committee. And you do not have to have uh, been a missionary to serve on this committee. You don't have to have gone on a mission trip of any kind to serve on this committee. You just have to have a heart um, to want to pray for our missionaries and support them. Uh, we've got a good group that's taking care of that right now, and this would be a good time for you to get involved in that way. So I just wanted to highlight that. Um, and, and just the other announcement that has already been made is, is uh, but I just want to point it out because I think it's special. And just to say to all our men this morning, Happy Father's Day. Um, I, I, it is a privilege um, to eat lunch with you, to play with you, to uh, get coffee with you, and to see what great men uh, that you are. Uh, and that it's just a blessing to me to know that the kids of our church are being raised by good and godly men. And so just wanted to say that to you as well, along with, so Ruby doesn't kill me, uh, after the service, there will be uh, special treats for the fathers. And so on your way out, be sure to pick one of those up, just in case I forget that at the very end. So this morning, as we begin, as we open our text this morning, to, as we're continuing through the book of Mark, as we're in Mark chapter 6, I want to begin by asking you a question. The, the question I want to ask you is, do you believe, do you really believe that God knows what is best for you? Do you really believe that God knows what is best for us as a people to flourish? It's fascinating to me that in our culture, in our churches, that a lot of times what we do is that we push God out and we want our own agenda and our own thoughts and we feel like we know what is best for us and we want to live lives according to our own ways. And I think this gets us into a lot of trouble. I mean, certainly, uh, what do you think would happen if we made a policy this morning and the policy was this? We're going to let the kids during the service and in Sunday school, we're just going to let them take care of themselves. I know what would happen probably is we would have a lot of kids in and out yelling and screaming, running, and there's no telling what we would find after the service. Mutiny. Looting. One of the interesting things that happened to me early on in life is when I began my college career, and we've got several folks that are getting ready to begin their college career or who aren't too far uh, from starting their college career. One of the things that happens is you go off to college, and uh, at least I did, and and was the experience of a lot of my friends and a lot of the people I was around was that we thought we had it all together. We were adults now, and we were starting our life. And so one of the things that happened where I went to college is that you could sign up for orientation, which is where they get you used to college life and spend a very short time trying to prepare you. One of the things you could do is go on this backpacking trip. It was like four-night backpacking trip. And I eventually helped lead the backpacking trip. And this backpacking trip was set up in, certain, in a certain way 
to kind of promote a little bit of chaos. Meaning that as a leader of the trip, one of the things that I did is that we got all of the supplies that you would need for your trip. They were split up into groups. You would, we'd circle you up. We'd get your name. We threw all the supplies in the middle. And then I just walked away. And they'd be like, what are we doing? I was like, well, all that has to get in those backpacks we gave you. And we're hiking with it. What was fascinating to me is what came out of bags, like curling irons and blow dryers. We had to kind of say, hey, there's none of that in the woods. And inevitably, things would, inevitably, every trip I ever led, you'd get this guy that was going to impress all the ladies, and he would pack all the stuff in his backpack, and then what would happen is less than a mile into the trip, we had to change backpacks. Uh, people wanted to go on ahead, and they didn't know where we were going, but they thought they knew where they were going. And, other, and we let this chaos play out to a degree, because the point was, of this trip, is that, listen... I know you are older. I know you are starting this new journey. But for you to be successful in college, for you to be successful in this new stage of your life, you're going to need guidance. You're going to need people. And what is best for you is if you reach out for help, if you let that guidance uh, reign over you and help lead, guide, and direct you. You'll be more successful that way. And as we come to this story, this familiar story in this text of the feeding of the 5,000, I think one of the traps we fall into is we think this is just a cute story about a boy with some fishes and some loaves and Jesus doing a kind of a great thing and feeding hungry people. But there's much more to this story. And when we dig into this account, one of the things that we're going to see is we're going to see once again Jesus proclaiming who He is. And in Jesus proclaiming who He is, as we know, as we've gone through the book of Mark, then you are asked the question, what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to allow God and His Son Christ to reign and to rule over you and take you to where you need to go? Or are you going to kick against that and do things your own way? I think it's fascinating I think it's fascinating when we look at this, this, this account. Did you know that there's only two miracles that are in all four Gospels? This story and the resurrection. Which brings in mind to me that this is a vitally important account that we need to, that we need to dig into. And I hope that you see, I, I, have heard this, I have heard this sermon preached in ways that, uh, I read some sermons this week that just nauseate me to the core that almost what happens is that this account is, is preached and you walk away saying, oh yeah, Jesus is a cosmic vending machine. That if you, if you need food, if you need something, you just go and punch in your number and boom, He can dispense that to you. And there's so much more here that I hope that we can see this morning. And to do that, we've got to see the background. We've got to understand the text. We've got to understand the context that this is in. If you remember, if you've been with us for a while, in chapter 6, if you remember me saying that Jesus sent the disciples on a practicum. A practicum was kind of like real world experience with a supervisor. And Jesus sent the disciples on a practicum. In chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, it says, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing on their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. Jesus sent them out. Then we have the story of John the Baptist. And then 
in our text this morning that David backed up and read, we have the disciples coming back to Jesus and starting in verse 30, it says the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. So this is the background to this story. This is what's going on right before Jesus goes and feeds the 5,000 people. And notice in verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Now, this is an interesting phrase that there were many people coming and going and we don't really know what was going on. Was just this was this just the normal part of the life of being with Jesus where there were people kind of constantly coming and going? Was there a new fervor of energy because the disciples had gone out and the disciples had been doing miracles as well? Or or. Were there a new group of people who were traveling through because John tells us that this happened at the time of Passover? And so were there people coming in and out, going to and fro, and they were coming in and wanting to see Jesus, wanting to see this man that they had heard about? So Jesus is taking his disciples away and taking them to a secluded place. Other, uh, the other gospels, some of them call it into the wilderness. And look what happens in verse 32. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all cities and got there ahead of time. It's estimated that they ran about eight miles and they noticed that some of them beat the boat there. There was a fervor. They were wanting to see Jesus. They were wanting to to be a part of this and they ran there and so This is the situation of Jesus is taking these disciples who had been out and who had been working. He is taking them away to get them some rest. They hadn't even had time to eat and they go away by boat. And when they arrive where they're going, the people had beat them there. What in the world would you be thinking? I am a people person. I love being around people, but I am looking forward to next Saturday being at the beach. And hopefully all of you won't follow me there. No, it's okay if you do. Actually, I actually would like that. My wife would be like, don't, not everybody follow me. But, but what would you be thinking if you were going and you were needing to get away and you'd be doing this ministry and all the people were there? Some of us would be really frustrated like, oh my goodness, can't get away from these people. They're everywhere. Would you be agitated? Would you be bothered? Verse 34, I think, is the key to this whole account. And it contains just some wonderful, great, important things that we need to understand. And the first thing that we see, notice in verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd and notice he felt compassion. I pray that we do not pass over this reality. The reality that the thing that drives our Savior is compassion. His love. Over and over we read in the, in the Gospel accounts of Jesus and His compassion for people. In our world, our DNA, our culture... They take some things that Jesus has said and that Jesus has taught. Like I am the only way. That man is, man is a sinner 
And they look at that and say, that's not compassionate. But the crazy thing about that logic is this. How compassionate would you call an oncologist who didn't tell you the truth about your cancer diagnosis? You see, Jesus is compassionate. Even in His rebuke, even in His coming along and saying that you are a sinner, you are in need of a Savior, that is compassionate because Jesus not only can diagnose, but Jesus cures. Jesus exposes the sin because He is the solution. And what we see Jesus doing here, that is Jesus sees this crowd, and He sees them and He has compassion, He moves towards them because they need a Savior. One of the most horrific readings of this text, hear me and and pay attention here, because I'm saying a complete statement. Hopefully. (laughs) One of the most horrific readings of this text is if this text is read in such a way that the only thing, the only thing that you hear and see in this text is that Jesus fed a large group of people. If that's what you get out of this text, you miss the point. And so any text, any time that this is taught or preached in such a way where the only the only thing you get out of it is that we should take care of the needs of others then you're missing the point of the text. That is important. We should have the compassion of Jesus in wanting to take care of the needs of others. And certainly Jesus does this all throughout His ministry. He heals. He raises people from the dead. He casts out demons. But there's more to this text. And you say, Lewis, how can you say that? Because one of the things that's interesting, read verse 34. He sees the people... He has compassion on them. And does He feed them right away? No. The only reason the people are hungry is because Jesus, in His compassion, teaches them and teaches them for so long that they missed their meal. The point of the text is this compassionate Savior moving towards them. Teaching them. Do you notice... Do you notice why Jesus is compassionate? He saw the large crowd and he felt compassion for them. Notice this. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What do you know about sheep? Do you know that being a shepherd is one of the oldest occupations that there is. And sheep are interesting. Sheep are not like cats and dogs. You know that if you have a cat, um, you're evil. No, you're not evil if you have a cat. If you have a cat and you turn that cat loose or the cat get, gets loose, it can survive. Cats are great hunters. They go out, they get mice, they get the little chipmunks outside your house. They go out and they can survive. Dogs can do the same type things. Sheep don't survive on their own. Somebody sent me this, uh, uh, like a little far side cartoon this week, and it was, it was real interesting. Um, it was all these sheep inside at like a party, and it's like, hey Larry, I don't know where to stand. I don't know what to eat. I don't know what to drink. And then another one says, oh, 
thank good Johnny the Border Collie is here to show us what to do. And there's some reality to that statement of sheep need a shepherd. If sheep don't have a shepherd, they do not survive. Literally, they can't get food for themselves. They can't pasture themselves. They can't protect themselves. Sheep must have a shepherd. And so when they don't, it is a major problem. And so when Jesus sees these people, what moves him in his compassion is that he looks at them and he notices that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, one of the things that I think we often miss, that I think is vital to this account, is that there's some real Old Testament imagery in that statement. You can stay where you are, but I'm going to jump back to the book of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 27, if you know your Bible, this is the time God's people had been in the wilderness. Moses had led them in the wilderness. God was leading them Himself through the, through the pillar and He was giving them, He was feeding them with manna. He was protecting them and the people kept rebelling. Remember that even the time that Moses just left them for a minute and went up on the mountain that they made a golden calf. So, so God had given His people a shepherd and Moses at this point is not going into the promised land and Moses knows that the people can't be without a shepherd. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 16 and 17, it says, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep who have no shepherd. And certainly, if I were just to say Old Testament and shepherd, uh, probably several things would come to your mind, but it wouldn't be too long until David came to your mind. That God appointed David as the leader of the nation of Israel, as their king, as their shepherd, and he led them, and he led them in great and wonderful ways. And that kingship after David died just went on forever, right? No. What we see is God's people without David, without the man after God's own heart leading and protecting and shepherding. What happens is that the people go astray and ultimately they end up in exile. And so what's fascinating when we get to this text, when we get to this text and Jesus sees these Israelites, these Jews, under the confines of Roman oppression, he literally sees the fulfillment of what we know and what we've been told in our Old Testament of what happens when God's people are without a shepherd. And if we turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read this for you as well, but listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 5 and 6 tells us this, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through the mountains and on every hill. My flock was scattered over the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or to seek for them. And then verses 11 through 14, hear this. For thus says the Lord God, behold, 
I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will deliver them from out of the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture and on the mountains of Israel. And I think it is evident that as Jesus comes and as Jesus makes this statement and as Jesus moves towards these people, Jesus is declaring that I have come to do the work of my father and to gather the lost sheep of Israel and I am gathering them in and I am on my way to a new exodus to the promised land to where they will dwell with me forever. And I will be their king. And they will be my people. God himself, Jesus Christ, came to his people to shepherd them. What a compassionate, compassionate, compassionate shepherd. And so now do you see why in this text, when Jesus sees these people. And he's moved deeply. With compassion towards them. And he makes this statement, they are like sheep without a shepherd, that what he does is he gathers them and he opens his mouth and he teaches them. And Luke tells us he teaches them about the kingdom of God. Because brothers and sisters, what the world needs most is to hear the word of God. That in their distress, in their wandering, in their aimlessness in their sin in their alienation that they need to hear the word of God that Christ has come and he has made a way and there may be some of you here that are just like these folks that you're wandering that you You think you have it all together. You're trying to do life your own way. And maybe you've even wandered in here this morning to see what this is all about. And what the Lord wants you to hear this morning is the Word of God. That Christ has come and He has made a way that if you would trust Him, that you could be one of His sheep. And that He will take you to the good pasture. Now, it's fascinating. In the book of John, at the conclusion of the feeding of the 5,000 in the book of John, the people come to Christ and they try to take him by force and to make him be king. I think this is evidence that they understood the imagery that was going on. And what Jesus does, he resists that because Jesus' kingship doesn't come from these people appointing his, his king. Jesus' kingship comes through the cross. Jesus' kingship comes through the cross. That He comes and He dies and He is raised again so that the people can be ransomed and to be with Him. And there's more. There's more to this text. 
And it's fascinating to me because it's not just about these roaming lost sheep of Israel. There's more here. Remember, the disciples are here. The the disciples are with Jesus. And and do you remember earlier when I read in 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 the beginning of Mark where the disciples came that how... Jesus sent them out, and a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, that Jesus sent them out without food, without money, taking only one coat. And remember, one of the things that we said back then was that Jesus did this to prove to them, to show them that they were going to need to be dependent upon God in their ministry and in their lives. And notice the problem that comes back in verse 30, or notice the problem in verse 35 and 36. I need to get to the right book. In verse 35 and 36, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it was already quite late. Send them away so they may go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, one of the things I just think is interesting is in verse 31, remember we're told, for there were many people coming and going and they didn't have time to eat. Now, I wonder if the people were really hungry or if it was the disciples that were hungry. I'm wondering why that detail is in there. But whatever it is, the disciples are coming and they're saying, look, send them away. You've been teaching for a long time. It's time you need to send them away so that they can go get something to eat. And I want you to pick up the irony here. That they had just come back when they, where they had been sent out with nothing. They had to be dependent upon the Lord for everything that they did. They just came back and reported all that God had done. And then the first situation they get in They come to him and they have their own plan. Send them away. Go get them something to eat. (laughs) And how often do we miss this next verse? Look at verse 37. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. What in the world did Jesus mean by this? He had given them all power to do miracles and many things. Is he saying here that, hey, get to it. You had your practicum. Now you you work a miracle. We don't know what he really meant by this. Except for he was pushing home a point. He was leaning in. He was pushing home a point. He was wanting the disciples to see something. When the disciples came to Jesus and said the people need something to eat, Jesus could have stood up and said, boom, rain down manna. Jesus could have walked to the little boy himself and taken the food and boom, produced food. But Jesus is leaning into the disciples here because he is teaching them a lesson and he's saying, you give them something to eat. And So let's look at what happened. They answered him and said, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? That was a lot of money. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they went out and they said, five loaves and two fish. Now, one of the things I want you to know, when you hear five loaves, some of you are thinking like Pruitt's loaves of bread. That's not a loaf. A loaf was like a little cracker or a little biscuit or something. This was not a lot of food. Okay, So five loaves and two bread. And he commanded them to all sit down by groups on the green grass. Just another note of something interesting here. In John's account of this passage, John tells us it's Passover time. There would only be green grass in this area about two months out of the year, and this would coincide with Passover, which is just a neat little tidbit for you. That's free. 
Then they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of broken pieces of fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Crazy miracle happened here. And the point of this miracle is that Jesus was teaching these disciples where their provision came from. Jesus was teaching the disciples in this account where their provision came from. And if you doubt that in any way, why in the world, why in the world do you have verse 43? You think it's just a coincidence that there were 12 baskets left over and there were 12 disciples? No. Jesus, in His compassion, was driving home a point to the disciples that God is all you need. God is all that you need. You should know, and we should know, that this account is not about food. Physical food. I want to touch on a couple things before I move to something, but I, I, I think this, there's just some rich stuff that I, I think the Lord wants us to glean from this and glean from, from Jesus performing this miracle. And the first thing that I want you to see is, do you notice that Jesus blesses the food? And the way in which He does this would have been the way that a Jewish father did this. And I just love this imagery and can't, help but think two things. One, this is a model for us as fathers that we should be around our dinner table not just saying grace with our family, but pointing our family that all our substance, all of what we have comes from one place. It comes from God. And I think the other imagery here is that Jesus is coming and Jesus is wanting to be our Father. (laughs) And He is serving in that office and in that role. The second thing that's fascinating to me that these people wouldn't have known. But think about this. Think about this. Does it strike you that Jesus broke the bread? Does it strike you that Mark tells us that Peter, who was telling Mark this account, says that Jesus broke the bread? As we read this, as the early church read this, I think we're supposed to see in this something more than just the divvying up of food, but we're supposed to see this as a foretaste of what was going to come. And certainly we can't skip over the fact that in verse 42, that it says that when God gives provision, we are completely satisfied. This wasn't a kid's meal. This was a little meal for a little kid. But yet these 5,000 grown men were eating and they were completely satisfied. Jesus doesn't give mere appetizers. Jesus doesn't invite us for just a, a mere tasting of food. At the Lord's table, at the Lord's table, we're supposed to come and we're supposed to feast And we're supposed to eat and partake. 
until we are full. And so the question to you this morning is, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Good. <laughs> Some of you will have ribs and barbecue this afternoon. Whenever this preacher stops talking, right? But are you spiritually hungry this morning? You see, when we would go on these backpacking trips with these kids, I was a kid too, kids leading kids. One of the things that was fascinating is that we were in the mountains, the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, and there was this beautiful stream that we were walking alongside. And every trip I ever took, you know what somebody wanted to do. They're tired, thirsty, it's hot, it's in August. They wanted to go and drink out of the stream. Looked like a great thing to do. And that was one of the times we had to step in and stop the chaos. Because drinking out of that stream could have killed you. There's stuff in that water that is really, really bad for you. Literally, if they would have drunk out of that water, we would have had to carry them out and get, get them to a place. And so we had to stop them and say, no, 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 you don't drink from there. Here is where you drink from. And Jesus, what He's doing with His disciples, He is pointing them towards where they are supposed to get their food and where they're supposed to get their drink. And notice, if we go over to the book of John, John takes us right to this place. In this account in the book of John, in chapter 6, it's very interesting what John does. John has Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus walks on the water and the crowd is still around. And in verse 26, notice this. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then in verse 27, he tells them, Don't work for the food which perishes, but work for the food which endures to eternal life which is the Son of Man, will give to you, for on Him the Father God has, sent his, has set His seal. And then this is the big, this is the big. Verse 31. The people say, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then He said to them, Lord, always give us this bread. They said to Him, Lord, always give us this bread. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Are you hungry this morning? If we are here and we are hungry this morning, it's because we're not going to our Savior to be filled. We're filling up with other things. And so this morning, this morning, you have the opportunity to quench your thirst and to quench your hunger. I'm not going to try to do a miracle and make this a banquet. But what we are to see in this is that this is a banquet. What this symbolizes is it symbolizes what Christ has done 
for us. And it is fascinating to me that John goes there, that Jesus goes there, and John links these two things where we are to see when we come and we see what Christ has done and what He has done through His death and resurrection, He has fed way more than 5,000 people. And the question to you this morning is will you come to the table and will you be satisfied with the bread and the drink that God gives you? If you are a believer with me this morning, uh, it doesn't matter if you are a visitor, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to partake with me this morning. This is a symbol of what God has done for us. And I think this is a, a way in which we can remind ourselves what God has done. And I pray that God would even use this morning in our hearts and in our lives to draw us into deeper fellowship with Him and that you may leave here this morning satisfied. If you take and you open up the first container, the plastic on the top, our Lord and Savior told us this, on the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then a little bit later, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we partake of your supper in remembrance of you, that you would fill us this morning. Not in a mystical way, but in a true and real and tangible experience that you have come and you have give us, given us your word and you have given us your spirit. And God, I pray that even this morning in a partaking of this Lord's Supper, that we would be drawn back to you as the source. The source. You are all that we need. Help us to stand in the reality that we are a needy people under the watch care of a compassionate Savior. We are so thankful. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to end by singing the doxology together.